As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. As my children started school and I watched their classmates file in, as nervous and excited as they were, I felt a pang of joy that they were about to embark on one of the most rewarding things we as humans do, making friends. But like most of the rewarding things in life, friendship can be fraught with pain, complication and conflict. While friends can make you feel unadulterated joy, your closest friends can also hurt you in a way that few can. And while that's one thing for us to endure, to watch our children endure this hurt is unbearable. Understanding how friendships emerge, how they develop and mature is a key thing for parents to understand. So today I'm joined by Penny Tassoni. She's an educational consultant, author and trainer who specializes in the spectrum of learning and play throughout the early years and the primary school years. Penny, thank you so much for coming today. <laughs> it's a real pleasure to have you here. Just thinking back to my introduction and my expectation of my children when they joined school, do you think we as parents put too much pressure on our children to make amazing friendships and struggle when they reach the inevitable conflict? I think that you're, at the point you were seeing your children file in, at that point you weren't able to be with them. And I think as parents, you really, really want to feel that there's someone out there who's going to look after them. And you know in theory that the teacher will and the people around in the school, but you, you want the people who are going to sit next to them um, to, in some ways, protect them, to be part of them. So I think that feeling of, oh, I want my child to have friends is, is really normal. Yeah. It's because you, the attachment with you which is there, you're not actually physically there to help them with their shoe or to you know, carry their tray or any of this. And so in a way, you are perhaps wanting so much for those others around them. But we also know how important friendship is. You know, by the time we're adults, we've experienced that spectrum and we know quite how rewarding it is. Um, and so I suppose a part of it is that understanding that that ability to make friends starts the moment you start to interact. Yes, and um, the, there is, 
you know, the idea that all children will, um, they will want to make friends. Of course, there are some children who are uh, perfectly happy to be spectators um, and stand back and watch other children. And one of the things I think is interesting when we watch children, even as uh, babies and toddlers, is that some children are are primed to smile. Mm. They're primed to be quite extrovert and parents will talk to them about being cheeky. And actually what these children want is a lot of attention. And so those children will go on actually probably to be children who uh, want others to notice them and want others to be to, and to be surrounded by others. Mm. And so those, those children will um, sort of often sally forth, quick to find others. And then we'll have other children who... Uh, they're not shy, they're not introverted, but they're not as fast. They, they like to maybe take the measure. And we will see these traits quite early on. And I, I think one of the lovely things about being a parent, although it can be hard, is watching how your child and these early traits, how they, they play out. In some cases, they will become more exaggerated and sometimes we'll see that actually experience uh, sort of tempers them a little. I mean, are you, as a parent, I think you're so focused on your own children, it's quite difficult to analyse them. You've obviously been a teacher as well. Is it much easier to work out the children from slightly further? You know, you don't quite have that emotional connection, which can be a really good thing, I presume, when you're... Yes, I mean, the great thing about being a teacher and being a, um, working with children is that you have that little bit of distance, um, which allows you to be a little bit more objective. Um but actually, I think two parents do know a little bit about their children, especially if they've had more than one. They'll always be able to say, well, this one is the one who, in a party situation, will be very quick to, to go up to strangers. Um, and, and, and so actually parents, when you quiz them a little bit, do, do tend to have a feel of where their children, you know, they've seen them at birthday parties or those kind of events. And they can see if there's the child who's the first in the line to do something or the hanger backer and if they're quick to leave their side to, to, and in, in playgrounds, um, are they eyeing up other children very quickly? Mm, mm. Um, so actually, parents might not have thought about it. Yeah. But um, actually, it's there. Yeah. And I mean, friendships are complicated, even right from the beginning. And I, it certainly wasn't something that I'd anticipate. I'd sort of thought back to the kind of innocence of friendship in the early years. But certainly from what I've observed with my children and their classmates is that right from the beginning, there can be real complications. Um, why is that? Why, why is, I mean, why do we not remember it being complicated? Or has it changed in the last... I don't think it's changed. Um, uh, but I do think... Um, Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe we just take it eventually in our stride. Maybe that's why um, we'll see the first friends that your children have aren't actually their friends. Um, they're your friends' children. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> friends, their parents so have when, chosen when, for them. When, yes. So when, when parents often say, oh, he's going to go and see his, his, his you know, they're only 18 months, he's going to go and see his little friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thinking, no, it's actually... They're going to see someone you really like who happens to have a child at the same age. Mm. And I think one of the sometimes the sad things is, as groups of parents who have had their children at the same point together grow up is as their children grow up, sometimes whilst they used to be really happy to play as uh, toddlers and maybe even at, at five and six, but um, the hopes that they will stay lifelong friends actually doesn't always uh, uh, play out, yeah. which is quite fun. So the very first sort of tranche of what parents think our friendships aren't 
uh, more uh, social connections and children can be very excited to see each other even at two they can really be um, you know sort of have very warm feelings towards each other um, by three most children have the skills for cooperation and this is the turning point because they can just about on a good day not snatch from another child or turn take so we start to see more cooperative play we also start to see the beginning of the gender divide already yeah no, yeah starting to see often at three and the play interests are interesting because they are sorry the play the play drives the friendship so we'll see children who are interested in certain types of play hanging out more together mm-hmm. um the really reciprocal friendships um where are come a little bit later but there are always exceptions to that but um so you you if a child loves being with dinosaurs they'll hang out with a dinosaur gang or the if they love dressing up and putting on um sort of uh, i don't know what the children put on yeah, <laughs> i was gonna say dress. frozen but i yeah i have to say Dinosaur, um, not very happy um well uh, i understand it's very popular for children but for me there's interesting issues there about uh, uh narrowing children into gender stereotypes so that's a whole other topic <laughs> and do you think that children will select their because fr- obviously the nursery and preschool environment is often the first time that they can choose who they hang out yes. with because before as you said you know parents will say now we're going to visit this friend and that friend um and do you think children are drawn to children based on um a mutual interest in dinosaurs or frozen or is it more towards personality type in those early days a little both a little of both i think um probably more play in interest is the driver although some children who spend a lot of time in each com- each other's company actually do develop an attachment similar to a sibling attachment mm-hmm. so it's a really hard call because i would say well children for example in daycare who may be spending 50 hours a week um with the same child and have done so since they were maybe 6 months 9 months old I would suspect that those friendships are more reciprocal and more what you would expect when we talk about friendship as opposed to the sessional uh, child who goes in for um, three hours here and there and and in which case we're probably going to see a connection around the play interests. Mm -hmm. A a good thing if you ever get a chance um, is to watch what happens when the child who's playing next to your child and, and moves on. What, does your child move on as well? Yes, because if they, they move on, then you've probably got something quite a little bit deeper. Yeah. Um, but if your child stays put. Yeah. <laughs> so that's quite interesting. Friendship, we know, is really important. I mean, for me, I find it sort of really life enriching. Um, but as a sort of species, we are herd animals and for us, friendship is really important. So I guess it's, it's really important to teach your children how to make friends. Have you observed the importance of friendship over, over your career and seen the sort of long firm effects of the children that find it easy to make friends? I think the thing is, um, we also have to understand, like with in the adult world, some adults can go into a room where they know don't know anyone and very quickly manage to strike up connections with other people. And uh, other people, that actually means quite the opposite. They take quite a while and they're kind of on a slow, bur- slow burn. Um, and I think we have to understand as parents that that can be the same case. Our children might be, uh, be able to quickly find connections. 
we can help them by making suggestions. But if a child is not really sociable and extrovert, they might actually need, first of all, to become very comfortable with the environment and the routines so that layer of stress is taken off before they can get stuck in. Mm-hmm. But m- helping children to know how to make the simple connections. So usually strangers, when they meet, almost start asking questions to find connections. So, you know, have you traveled far? Um, you know, sort of, uh, do you come here often? And oh, yeah, we talk are, about the weather. Yeah, and, yeah. and quite often these, these questions take place, and there's about six questions before you find something like, well, yes, Tunbridge Wells or York. I've got yeah. a friend who went to live there. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's a, sometimes a, it's very small things. Children don't have that ability yet, but we can help children learn things such as making a favourable comment about what an, another child is doing or what what they got. So I like your shoes mm-hmm. or I like the way that you do this. Mm-hmm. Will you show me? They could be good inroads. Um, but I would say until a child has kind of relaxed and settled in, they might not even be able to do that. So one thing we have to be also careful as parents, especially if we are fairly sociable, is not to push too hard on our children so the, the feeling of you know did you say anything to anybody what did you do who did you play with that actually can then create a new stress for the child because they can think well I'm, that's what I'm meant to be doing and I'm not somehow doing it well enough mm. so yeah and then make them you know hate the situation even more I remember as a child that kind of awful when we had to go and meet new friends you know generally of my parents and just that crippling shyness and what do you talk about and just wanting not to be there and I see this in my children it's something I've absolutely grown out of and I can basically go into a room and talk to anyone I will find something to talk about with anyone pretty much but I see it with my children actually I'd never really thought about kind of giving them that secret to sort of asking questions and the, and the finding connections yeah one of the things that I found helped is just saying to my children if you start with a really confident handshake and say hello my name is it makes it so much easier um just a strong look in the eye and we tried it the other day and they both said actually yeah that did make a big difference yes and that the children themselves have to be in a place where they can take on these little tips um so a good tip for where a, a child or a young person is very um shy is ask someone else a question because otherwise um, particularly adults, they keep on asking children questions. Do you, what do you like doing for maths? And the child mumbles a reply. And then the adult straight away goes in with another question because they're trying to interact. Whereas the, if, you, if, you, if your child is able to actually learn the skill of get in there first, ask them about a question, and then you'll be off the hook. Yeah. Yeah, and actually maybe that's a great thing to kind of practice when you pick them up from school because I always pick my children up from school, bombard them with loads of questions and they never ask me anything about my day. Maybe it's because they find my day intolerably boring. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right, encouraging them to kind of question you back, especially if you... Yeah, but, uh, you know, some, some children are in the right place for words of wisdom and some children um, aren't and um, understanding where they are on their journey becomes really important so if if a child um we aren't there with them at the point 
they are facing difficulties um, in terms of initiating friendships. So sometimes our advice might not be the right advice. Mm. So sometimes pe- parents will say, oh, well, why don't you ask them if you can p- play? Sometimes that's not the right advice because when a child goes up to a group and says, can I play? The other children turn around and say no. Mm. Well, that leaves a child with a clear rejection And although uh, some schools and nurseries are very good about having a we all play here policy, not all uh, settings do that, not all schools and early years settings do that. Whereas there is some uh, research to say that children playing on the edge and copying what the other children are doing, but on the edge of the play and then sort of gradually getting closer rather than a direct can I play with you might be a better tactic. Mm. so some, sometimes um, well-meaning advice might backfire mm-hmm. <laughs> and again where's what does a child feel if they have followed ad- advice and it hasn't worked for them would you say that it's normal for children to be really quite shy of making new friends and not having that confidence that adults do um I see a lot of adults who are not confident to make friends. Yeah. I think you, um, if, if you have developed that skill or if you were um, uh, born with that trait of um, uh, being sociable and extroverted, maybe that's um, yeah, a bit of a bonus. Um, sometimes I think w- w- some people have lots of friends. Um, s- but there's an analysis that actually, although you can have lots in theory of friends and people you can phone up and talk to, that actually your core group as an adult can be quite small. And I think often for children, helping them to realise, well, you only need one person to play with. If you get any more, that's a bonus. Mm. Um, and also, um, you might have friends in different moments at different times and for different things. So... I think it's quite helpful, particularly if um, friendship is an issue for a child, that they also have an out-of-school activity, which is with a totally different group of children, maybe from different schools, from different places. So that they might not have anyone to, to be with and hang out in the school setting, but they know that when they go to whatever club or whatever sporting thing, that there they are very accepted and um, that there they have uh, friendship because that can be really good at boosting confidence so not uh, putting them in the school club for whatever but actually looking for something elsewhere mm. um, because then you're introducing children to a totally different group of children and they have no back record no track record so they can start with a kind of blank and sheet. especially presumably for children that don't fit into that classic mold of being a boy and being a girl like if you for example you know most boys love football and that's what they all play it's what the majority of them play and for the child mm. that is obsessed with physics you know it's quite normal that maybe they feel a bit lonely and a bit isolated like no one kind of gets them um but actually they're in a relatively small group of people if they've got you know one or two classes in their year that's not that many people and reassuring them i suppose that 
you know, they will find people that love physics just as much as they do. But once they get out and do more kind of out of school activities and meet new people and then eventually go to a bigger school and then eventually go to university, they're much more likely to find a group of, you know, say, you know, one in a hundred people as children is passionate about physics. Well, if you're in a school with, you know, uh, or a university with tens of thousands of people, you're going to find that group. That's right. Um, I mean, I, I worry for boys in some respects, um, because we have kind of coined this term a real boy oh he's a proper boy or a real boy which actually is quite a narrow stereotype quite (laughs) (laughs) well I yeah it is I often say to people who say well I've got a a real boy or he's a proper boy I say well what are there some some pretending boys that don't know about (laughs) and it's quite narrow and so um if a if a child doesn't fit into the mold um that and and a setting or a school is geared up in that sort of mindset that's actually can be very isolating um for for children and so you know getting a chance to be with other children and having a fresh start new opportunities with new potential new friendships is is really key and sometimes confidence that's grown on the outside not in the day-to-day can actually then help a child to cope inside again Mm-hmm. So they, but they come back into the school setting or after some holiday, because they know they've got some friends um, in the exterior. That actually can make quite a difference to how they approach other children. Mm-hmm. And there's there's all this talk of best friends. You know, you'll find your best friend. And I remember when I was at school, it was all about the best friends. And mm. since my children have gone to school, they've been sort of we've been encouraged not to use that terminology and that lots of people are different friends and actually I think as you grow up you realize there's no such thing as a best friend you've got different friends at different times in your life that you go to at different stages and for different things Um, do you agree with that concept that we should not be encouraging our children to have best friends I don't think a best friend is helpful Um, it's more likely um, amongst many uh, girls um, and narrowing down your social circle um, um, and putting all your hopes on one other child who who is only seven or eight, <laughs> it's quite an ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even the term best suggests a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, and then exclusivity. And it exclusivity, can't be anyone else's yeah. best friend. And, and then when another child moves into the school or changes and one child is dropped, then the, the, that can actually cause a child a huge amount of up, upheaval and... It, it, it can't and sometimes it's not a healthy relationship because you can have one child who's dominating another child and that exclusivity um, within that relationship means that that one child is not benefiting and not um, I don't know not growing it so that I wouldn't probably be keen as a to advise I'd be sorry I, I would probably say to parents uh, don't talk about best friends talk about good friends and good friends with the plural mm. and helping children to understand that you might have somebody you really enjoy being next to in, um, in, in, in a classroom and you might have a friend who makes you laugh and you might have a choir buddy and you might have a football buddy um, and that um, it's, it's fine to have s- several mm-hmm. and it's probably a good thing to have several um, but parents can advise, um, but what children do sometimes doesn't quite play out. But I wouldn't probably foster, 
push it and encourage it. So this um, time of year, we're looking at Christmas coming. I wouldn't be looking out for best friend birthday gifts, um, necklaces with two separate bits of a heart that join together or best friend cards. Or I w- w- wouldn't be encouraging it. Yeah. And the hard challenge as a parent is how much interfering do you do? So if you see that your child is going down that line of... Uh, reducing the amount of other children that they're hanging out with and playing with. Do you, when you're asked, to, can they come for a sleepover? Can they, uh, over a holiday period, come every day? Do you say, yes, that's fine, and go with it? Or do you say, no, uh, yes, well, they can come on Wednesday, but it'd be nice to see so-and-so and so-and-so. Or go for more collaborative um, sort of groupings and maybe um, say, well, perhaps we could invite, you know, two other children as well and we can go to the cinema or do something in a park. But that is hard sometimes for the parent to know whether or not you should be. Mm-hmm. I, I would, if it had been going on for quite a while and I felt my child was in danger of it becoming an unhealthy relationship, um, which I think parents do have a feeling about, I probably would be then opening the doors to encouraging other interactions with other children as well. And what if you've missed those cues and you suddenly find that your child is in a sort of, I say unstable in that, you know, one side is much more powerful. It's, Mm. you know, in the same way, and it's obviously not as serious, but, you know, that people become quite addicted to abusive relationships and find it very difficult to extract themselves from them, that you often find children who are very unhappy in the relationship they have with their best friend, and yet they can't walk away from it. Mm. How do you deal with that situation? Uh, It's tricky. Um, I think you'd start off by asking yourself, what is it in this other child that my child seems to need? And sometimes that other child might be representing safety or structure they might be a very rule-bound child and um, you sort of hear things like you know oh I'm only allowed to wear green socks because green socks is what we have to wear some and so you might then be needing just to do a little bit of reflection about whether or not um, is that a message that our child needs a little bit more structure which Mm -hmm. is why they're so drawn towards this child that somehow uh, giving, you know, we could see negatively as kind of ruling our uh, the child, but actually, is it because the child is wanting that? And I think we have to understand in relationships that there's an element, often, of a child being drawn to another child. Children are, not, are never kidnapped by other children and <laughs> grabbed into relationships. Uh, children choose to be with others. But that long-term, what starts off maybe as being a very comfortable relationship for your child could then become, as you've alluded to, one where actually it's not an equal relationship and there's a child that's very domineering. Um, Keeping the doors open, helping your child to see other children outside of that relationship. But I wouldn't advise uh, sitting down and telling your child that this other child's not nice and it's not good for them because that could um, really uh, cause uh, further problems but helping your child to see and be with other children um, in some schools with more than one form uh, entry a quiet word at the end of the year um, to ask if there's a normal class reshuffle which in some schools um, every year they reshuffle a little bit the classes and ask for a reshuffle could be um, could be worth it 
uh, if your child is in year six, um, a final year of primary and due to go to secondary, uh, there's often a big change that will take place in the first few months of, of joining a secondary school. And often the primary relationships in some cases have been really stable. And the best friends suddenly, with the introduction of new uh, children and a change of circumstances, those relationships don't carry on in the same way. Yeah, so there's lots of opportunities mm. natural, naturally. I mean, what what do you think about the idea of calling up the parent of the other child? And <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> is, that, is that never a good idea? Because it's tempting, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure there must be some parents, and I'm sure that... Um, is it, uh, I would be very, very careful because I'd put it on the other foot. What would it be like if you had a phone call from another parent saying, I want you to know that my... I think you have to be super diplomatic. Um, If children seem to be inseparable, the chances are that you are likely to be in contact with the other parent. Mm -hmm. You could judge the water, which is saying, oh, they do seem to hang out a lot. And just see if you can pick up any of the body language or cues from the other parent Mm -hmm. about how they're feeling about that. Mm -hmm. Um, But... That could be the other parent is saying, isn't that wonderful? And yeah. the other parent might well be encouraging it because their child previously has not had any friends. Mm. Uh, I, I would be very cautious. Mm. And I th- think the big picture is to step back. And whilst you might, for example, not even particularly like the other child that your child is hanging out with, which sometimes is the case, you need to step right back and say, is this really harming my child? And quite often, actually, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, it's going to be a little period. Where I think you need to step in as a parent is if your child is not sleeping, if your child is showing any signs of regression, um, things such as starting to be uh, fatty in their eating. So if, uh, sometimes other children can make children fatty because there, there's an element of role modelling. Um, so another child sees a child who's picky and they start to pick up those behaviours. So I think looking, stepping back and sort of asking yourself, can I see serious signs that my child is becoming anxious or losing significant amounts of confidence? Mm. And if that was the case, I, I, th- I think the first port of call is probably to talk to uh, a teacher um, and just see if, if they've noticed anything about your child as well. But quite often these things will play themselves out and ride themselves out. Mm. So and I suppose getting too involved and being negative about the friendship choices your child is making is just going to yes. make them kind of immune to yes. your help. Yes, yeah. And um, one of the things that I think parents need to, to consider doing is uh, when ch- a child makes a comment about another child, even if it's not a friend, I would always avoid... Um, saying something negative about the child I might ask questions such as oh why do you think they might do that Mm. trying because one of the big things we have to help children learn is to um, help them analyze and understand others motives and help them understand why people react in certain ways so which is often a learning curve for us adults (laughs) yes we perhaps need to do more of it ourselves (laughs) but uh, so you know you often um it tickles me pink really because (laughs) with my own children any children in the class that are clearly often in trouble with the teachers and were not 
um, obviously probably coping with the school. Uh, they, those children always had surnames. So um, other children had a, had a first name, but the, when it came to a child who was in trouble, you'd hear back and there usually the family name was added. Uh, so uh, I th it'd be very easy to join in. That not that a terrible thing that this child did? But it's not an opportunity to say, that can't be fun for the other child not to be able to go out to break. Do you think they didn't think about that before they did what they did? Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than join in the fest of, isn't that a terrible child? Mm -hmm. uh, helping at every point for our children when we can to talk about how others might be feeling and why other, people's might, other people might do that. And I think that almost is in daily life. You know, someone in a car park um, who uh, doesn't allow you to have a space when clearly you were there first for a space. How are you handling that as an adult? Mm. You probably are irritated. <laughs> That's a, uh, I know, I would. <laughs> <laughs> but if you've got children in the car, m making a comment such as, oh, I was hoping to get that space, but he's gone in or she's gone in first. Um, I wonder why they did that. It could be maybe they were too busy or maybe they didn't see me. Helping, giving some examples of why other people might be doing something. Maybe they forgot their good manners. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, um, maybe they were so focused on what they needed, they forgot. Mm -hmm. And actually, when we start talking about emotions and motives of others, that actually can help children to interpret better the mo how and why other children are responding to them in the way they have been. Mm -hmm. And obviously we look at our children, we love them unconditionally. We forgive them a huge amount. God, I forgive my children a lot. What if you notice that your child is mean? Because there are mean children in, in every sort of circumstance. And what if you sort of think, God, is she, she is the mean one. What do I, what, how do you tackle that? Uh, Clarify mean for me. What do you mean by mean? I'm, what do I mean by mean? The one mean? that sort of riles people, the one that will sort of love someone and then cold shoulder them the next, the one that doesn't care about other people's feelings, the one that pretends to be nice the whole time with a smile on her face but is actually being very passive-aggressive. Okay, so the manipulative yeah. in some way. Yeah, normally um, we'll have seen a bit of manipulation and that sort of character in, in the home. Um, so that's the first port of call is um, making sure that it's a stamping out in, a, in, in, in the home and that children realise you are on to them. Um, sometimes we might not know about that behaviour. It might be one that is then reported to us by other people. And some parents, quite rightly, because they love their children, don't want to hear anything negative. But what, if you do hear that, I think it is important that you help your child to learn that they might have won a, a short-term gain a quick little victory but in the long-term journey other children will remember it and how do you do that um well, with depending on the level of language of children um to um to tell them to say that mm. so um but even with an eight-year-old you know you can say that it makes total sense to yes. us but they, and they get the words but they yeah. just don't get the actual meaning because it is quite there's a, normally something plays out at home so the if you have more than one child, do you find that when you're asked one to tidy up, one tidies up and one seems to always need the toilet? That's kind of a classic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've all seen that. <laughs> <laughs> that sly behaviour. So parents actually might have a feel of that and, and it might be cheeky and charming when a child is young, but that's the kind of behaviour at home that needs to be called out. Um, and... Uh, 
when children are showing those behaviors i think they sometimes stamping at home out at home is the first port of call and making sure that we are not we are not modeling the two-faced behaviors in, in our own interactions as well mm-hmm. so um, little voices often say mommy why did you say that because a moment ago you said something else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've been caught out, but you've also modelled insincere behaviour. Mm-hmm. And we are all guilty, I suspect, of insincere behaviour at some times. If someone gives you a gift and you don't like it, well, there's a kind of convention that you say, oh, thank you. Oh, yes, lovely. But then that's a valuable lesson, the difference between <laughs> a sort of white lie and the insincerity based in yes. politeness yes. versus the insincerity based in meanness. Yes. And um, uh, calling names and things we have to kind of delve down is that a child who is insecure themselves and lacking confidence or is this part of the way that they have learned to control other children and that they're actually getting confidence from watching other children um, uh, cry or become upset so there was an idea in terms of uh, 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 the kind of bullying that all the bullies were uh, insecure and needed more confidence and then there was some other thoughts well actually they they might be doing fine because they are feeling quite powerful so thinking about whether or not your child needs um, more opportunities for healthy power healthy power in in, in the home um, and sooner or later your child it will uh, sadly something will happen to your child which will mean that you might have to pick up the pieces but they might have to experience being being caught out or other children ganging up on them or something um, as a result of their behavior which is hard to see but actually that might be one of uh, their life lessons mm-hmm. so some children I think are naturally quite insular they enjoy their own company they enjoy reading during break on their own and not joining yeah. in joining in what if you have one of those children is it okay for them to sort of enjoy having their own company if they don't seem desperately unhappy or is you know making friends actually really important even if it's just a small group um i'm fairly relaxed about children who are happy in their own company provided that they have the social skills necessary to cope and i think um that for me is a differentiator so children who can play a board game who can take turns who can chat to other children at times that's fine but they might choose not always to want to do that they're very happy in their own company and I think that that plays out in the adult adult land provided that those social skills and the understanding of others and the empathy towards others that is in place and I think if you kind of were hearing as a parent or your child is a bit of a loner you need to just do a little bit of probing about whether or not there's difficulties with social communication or actually it's a the child is one of those children who um, might be uh, grow up to be an adult who likes one person at a time. They're not party animals. They just like you know, the company of maybe one. And that's got to be hard for the child of quite a social person because you yes. know they they get so much joy out of lots of friends and lots of <laughs> different social interactions. And I'm sure that on the one hand, the parent looks at their child and thinks, "I know you you think you're happy, but you could be so much happier if you were friends with all these people." But yeah. I'm also aware that you're then putting a lot of pressure on someone who might genuinely not want it yes and we you sometimes do find that parents um who are 
more extrovert on the personality scale can have children who are and there's nothing wrong with them they're, but they're just slightly or significantly lower in in terms of their personality and personality traits um and uh equally it can go the other way you can have parents who are uh, quite quiet people and who are not the life and soul of every party and actually keen to be amongst lots of people um, who have a child who is <laughs> so it can play out both ways I think w- the skill of parenting uh, and, and this relates to friendships and uh, relationships is little by little look at the package that you've been given and work with it mm-hmm. you you will know if you've looked at your child um, and you've been with your child you will know if they were the three-year-old who's spilt out the family secrets on the bus to some sweet old lady without any prompting and told them exactly what was going on or if they every time somebody made an interaction towards them just kind of were quite quiet and unsure you will know about what you've got actually although they do change i mean my yes. daughter used to be so insular and didn't want to wouldn't even be held or touched by yeah. anyone else and now she is the life and soul of the party yes, yes. but the Developmental changes um, account for that. So we'll see that um, usual stranger danger reservation from 18 months to three. But within that, some children are much quicker to warm up um, when they um, are with a stranger than others. Mm -hmm. And uh, so recognizing what you've got and recognizing that uh, some children will be happy with maybe one playmate from time to time. Um, and that, 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 as humans, we are diverse. And presumably it's encouraging those interactions, but in a, a more intimate way than at school. I mean, I know yeah. there are children who find 20 boys quite a big thing, so they sort of retreat to the edge, whereas if you organise a play date with one child, yeah. then they will much more happy to, to establish and, a bond. And that's that thing about playing, playing to where your child needs to be. So if you were thinking, well, I would like them to have a chance to find another connection... You'd be thinking about um, sort of clubs and things of interest they may have, but you'd be thoughtful about making sure, for example, that isn't such a big um, group. So you'd be looking for clubs and things where maybe there might be five or six other children as opposed to 60 in a very loud raucous hall. Um, And, yeah, it's hard. I mean, for parents to, where their children are emerging and they're, they are not looking to be in the same level of extroversion as them. It is hard, I think, for parents. You can't have mini-me's. <laughs> You're right. And I suppose also talking to parents and getting to know them so that you can... I just I had one parent who contacted me and said, you know what, I think our boys are actually quite similar. Let's try and... And they've actually become such good friends. And it's so lovely to see... They've been in a, a, you know, in a class together for four years, but they hadn't found each other. No. And yet once they had found each other, they've really benefited from this friendship. And um, that was, you know, through, through the parent. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, it might have worked, it might not have worked, yeah. but you risk nothing with having a go. Exactly. And um, within... Um, the, Without putting too much pressure on... Yeah. You just know, to, we will yeah. have a play date every week for yes. <laughs> the whole year. <laughs> yes, just to see it might work. And I think that is interesting because what we ha- you had there probably in the kind of social groupings of children is that we ha- will have some children who um, sometimes the term is used as neglected. Um, there's nothing wrong with them. Other children don't talk about them negatively. They're not nasty to them, um, but they're not, they're not uh, for some reason, the other children aren't attractive to actively play with them. They're not rejected. 
and the term neglected. And then uh, in a different situation with a different group of children, uh, or even two or three changes, different class, actually a child can go from being neglected and being um, pretty much by themselves to having a, a good circle of friends around them. And so if you feel that it's a, if you feel the level of anxiety and you have a significant concern, there is an option always, I think, of thinking about would it be helpful for my child to, to move group? But that's quite an extreme move. But it could be that, you know, you talk to the teacher and say, when you next mix the classes up. Yep. Yeah, you know. and do it at a naturally occurring yeah. point. And that's the advantage of always looking for activities outside of the school or the setting because you've automatically got a different population of children. And within that population, there might be a, some other little <laughs> soul who gets your child. Some children have quirky senses of humour mm-hmm. and yeah. other children don't get it. Yeah. And then you just have to have one fan. <laughs> and, and you yeah, are... laughter is infectious. Yes. The whole class finds it hilarious. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's also a good tip for children um, who are older um, is to uh, help children um, if they haven't got anything to anyone to play outside and it's playtime is long take something with you that makes you of interest to other children so if this a setting allows uh, are you allowed to slip a pen and pad into your child's note uh, in jacket so when they're all alone in the um playground and the, nobody seems to be bothered with them and they might have tried to see if they could join in the game maybe they could start um uh doing some drawing and that just that the child is doing something of interest might then encourage other children to come and talk to them mm-hmm. so that can sometimes work so that they it's a long play time it's 15 minutes twice a day and an hour at lunch if uh, the classroom bit sometimes can be fine for some children because it's nice and structured and organised, but in the unstructured jungle of school life, um, they're quite, that's quite for a child a long time. Mm-hmm. And so helping them and chatting to them about, well, if you didn't find someone to play with, what, what is there to do? What mm-hmm. could you do? Mm-hmm. What could you take to school to do, which other children might not have seen? Of course, check that out, nothing so valuable that it's going to actually cause problems. Yeah. And we're obviously very protective of our children. And the idea of people being mean or other children being mean to our children, I think is probably one of the hardest things for parents to compute. And I know that if you do hear someone's been really mean to your child, you want to go and deck that child because you love your child and you're so protective. Mm. When they do report conflict and when they are really upset because someone's been mean to them or someone's scratched them or someone won't play with them, how do you best deal with that as a parent? Um, when you see the red mist. Yes. The red mist won't help you. But it might, at the time, just be your own outlet uh, mm-hmm. for your frustration. But actually, your, your child needs you to be on side for them. And um, I think s- s- talk about, that, about how that must feel. Help the child talk about their feelings. How did it make them feel? Help your child to know that other children, it's normal, though it's not nice when other children do say things, but other children sometimes do say things that are unpleasant. Um, and talk to your child about how, how and what they might do if that happened again. 
Now, parents differ in their advice <laughs> to children. So some parents say, you know, say something back. <laughs> Hit them back. I've heard that before. <laughs> Hit them back. I don't think I, professionally I can advise that, um, that. And it might not even suit your child's own personality. But help your child to think about what could they have done? Um, what could they do next? Uh, um, so that you are a team together coping with this child and it's often one child or a little group led by one child um, so that you they can at least report to you about the what's happening and how that makes them feel and that's half the battle one isn't it that they're open with you and they're yes. reporting back to you one of the big things which is hard for children is shame um, and shame and not having friends and shame and being uh, the sort of the focus for unpleasantness is interesting because it also occurs in adult land so many people who are lonely don't say they're lonely because that has a bit of sh quite a lot actually of shame around it and I think we have to help children realize that when they haven't got anyone to play with it's not always that it's not their fault it, if you're sure it's not of course mm. <laughs> it could yeah. be their fault but let's assume it's not and it's not their fault that they're wearing glasses and someone is um, making jokes about them being blind and uh, or comments that children make, um, that they have nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, trying, if your child is over, old enough, to talk through, why would they say that? What are they? What is that? What is that? What does that tell you about that child? And then the big decision you've got to make with your child is whether or not you. Um, actually need to get other people stuck in so you mentioned scratch scratch starts to me um, a, a bump into push not great but we'll give them the benefit of the doubt but I would be very much monitoring and um, once things start to move uh, physically because uh, um, children where there's active and persistent intimidation by other children they can lose their confidence very quickly mm -hmm. and what is sad is that when this happens, not just, you know, the odd day, but when it happens persistently, then those children are unable to trust other children. Mm. And so there's cases sometimes where children have needed to be moved classes or even school, but they, when other children bump into them, into the corridor, because they have lost their trust in people, they immediately think that must be another child who's trying to hurt them when it's not it's just a child who bumped into you so the some children then lose that ability to accurately read other children's motives mm. and that's why I think as a parent uh you might feel like you're always a parent at the school gate but it you you in a way have to be do think hard about whether or not your your child needs a bit of an adult now to help sort things out particularly mm. where things are getting physical or where it's persistent I think is key and it's clearly impacting on your child's confidence I was talking to a parent the other day and he was saying that um his son like there was this one boy in the class that just always shove him push him hit him um and you know the boy was saying I don't want to be a telltale tit because then you know no one likes me and it, I'm not getting that hurt it's just really annoying and the father just said do you know what next time he does that turn around and hit him really hard and he said you know you will get into trouble for that 
but it will stop this persistent push, push, push. And instinctively, I think, well, you should never encourage your children to react violently. But I have to admit, he had a point. And he did it. And it worked exactly like the father said it was going to. Yes, it is a bit of a mute point. Um, And, you know, my professional hat, I'd have to say, (laughs) no, we don't encourage violence. But um, we do know about some children is that if they perceive that another child um, is um, not strong um, and confident, that then they um, will pick on them. I... We, you can do things like helping children to learn to stand straight, not shrink, mm-hmm. to physically control more space. Um, so uh, I'm, you know, it's very tempted, like the rest of the world, say, oh, just hit them back. But I don't think I can do that professionally. Mm-hmm. But I think you can um, look at ways of helping your child to become more assertive and to physically own space. So learning to stand up straight. But if they're already a victim, is that going to make a difference? Even if you sort of go as if you were to hit them. Yes. If you already, they've been doing this again and again and again, and you've just taken it because that's what the rules say. Yes. I mean, I kind of feel that, you know, apart from (laughs) telltelling or moving. Yeah, I think the first strategy should always be where is the school in all this or where is the um, uh, earlier setting um, in all this? Usually problems like this are in primary phase. So where are they? How has it been allowed allowed to build up to this level? And then looking at sometimes something called change the script, which um, we use um, in uh, for adults to, to change the script of children's behaviour can be worth thinking about. So um, if we know this behaviour always happens at certain points, um, a, and a child can be brave enough to say to a child, "I'm here. Are you going to push me now?" Because that's what you normally do. That kind of thing then puts the other child on the back foot. Mm-hmm. Or if that child is with other children, and it's often they need an audience to say things such as, you're going to push me, why do you push me? Trying just to change the script, I can't... What's your problem? Yeah, yeah, what's your problem? Something like that. Um, so you're almost trying to... What pushing the other child does back is just say, look, I'm here. Mm. It's kind of showing a a line, a strength. But there are other ways to do that. But the child shouldn't be doing all this by themselves, I think is the key. They need um, their parents behind them, supporting them on. But also it shouldn't get to a point where where this advice feels necessary for parents to hit, you know, go and hit them back, where where actually we've got um, the... Uh, schools involved as a teacher I mean you've obviously spent many years looking at this you know um, from a professional point of view do you notice that there is a certain rhythm and formula to the kind of how relationships go if you sort of look broadly over your years as a teacher that you know friendships are quite straightforward in the early years and they get a bit more complicated and Mm. I mean I think a lot of parents they see fractious behavior and and conflict and they think oh this is the only person this has ever happened to and then they talk to the parents teachers and they go this is classic year three this is exactly do you notice there's like a sort of graph there are there are sort of developmental changes that take place um at some point children um sort of do try some power play with each other that's fairly um typical and um we'll see that 
often there's some element of her boys um, choosing to play with other boys and girls doing so, which might start from play interest, but becomes increasingly hard for um, a boy, for example, to play with a girl once they get to the age of nine. Although there's an unwritten code, which is <laughs> it's fine. It's fine if I'm a boy to play with a girl if um, there are no other boys around, if um, the girl is much younger than me <laughs> so there's these sort of unwritten <laughs> unwritten rules when it's it's okay if um i'm um in a situation where there are only girls uh, available so that it's sort of is it's interesting but we do start to see and so children who don't fit into those nice neat patterns of what other children are doing sometimes can struggle we see typically that um boys relationships um can be more fluid um, and, and so often it's easier for a boy to move into a new school, particularly you mentioned about football and playing stuff uh, if, if they have a skill. So that and it tends to be a bit more fluid. Girls relationships can be more contained in the primary and then things uh, sort of change in the uh, beginning of the secondary. And we start to see many more ex- kind of extensive relationships and we start to see. Uh, parents complaining with their 12 year olds needing a sleepover of 15 <laughs> and uh, god forbid i will never <laughs> yeah it's coming your way <laughs> so because um they're fr- the they kind of have quite often large groups of, of children and they don't want to not have any child there um and then sort of from about 14 15 16 onwards and they reduce down again so it's so it is there is an element of trends to this yeah um and as a parent you you uh most of the time need to stay out of it yeah but uh, be on hand to um support and particularly i would refocus on that talking through why other children why other adults behave in the way they do yeah and help your child learn that it's okay to say how they're feeling particularly yeah. if you have a boy um boys ability to express themselves um, and talk about emotions seems for some boys to be problematic yeah well penny i find it so interesting talking to you about this i could go on and on all afternoon um it's such an important part of our children's development and i think it's one of those areas i mean i can't help my children with maths and spellings but i hopefully can help them in the sort of area of friendship and make them realize that it's not all plain sailing but it is really rewarding at some point however that looks yes um penny you've written some books um tell us a little bit about the latest series of books that you've just published one Um, of them is about friendships yes we have um uh uh, with featherstone uh, an imprint of bloomsbury uh produced four books uh which are uh, really for parents and for people working in nurseries uh, to use with children aged two to five and one of those is uh, time uh, t- uh, time to make friends and helping time to tidy is another title time to eat and time to share so the elements of helping children understand why we do things and also why they're so positive yeah. so the time to make friends looks at the fact that uh, something we've not touched on. Sometimes children move away. Yeah. Um, they go on holiday. Um, they might be um, ill for a, a an off for a week. So that look of well, what does one do? Mm-hmm. Um, and to see that um, and give advice for parents about that importance of helping your child to learn some of the skills they need. 
Um, and children who are have learned some skills very early on in life, such as being able to share and cope with their emotion. Um, when we look at uh, children who seem to have um, popu- be popular, not not popular in the sense of uh, um, reported by other children as being possible playmates. So we're not talking about the secondary phase here, but much earlier on. We will see that those children have traits. Kindness is a significant trait. Mm-hmm. That they are willing to listen and to be flexible. And that includes things like winning and losing. Some children cannot bear to lose a game. And uh, so... And then no fun to play the game with. And then, yes, and or they don't like it if the way the play is going isn't to their taste. Their idea is always better. Um, and uh, helping children to learn that they can't always have what they want very early on in life is actually very useful for learning um, later on about friendships and relationships. So the give and take, being kind, um, being thoughtful is part of making friends, but also an aspect that's sometimes known as self-regulation, mm-hmm. which is the ability to be patient, to wait, take your turn. And so these books are designed that you read them with your children. What I like about them is that they, I think sometimes we as parents struggle with the language and getting, you know, we know we want our children to understand, but it's very difficult sometimes to put into the language that they get, get on a sort of more sophisticated level. And I really like these books. They're sort of simple and they... They come at it from the child's perspective, which isn't always so evident for us parents. Yes, and the illustrator Mel Four has done a lovely job at bringing um, bringing the the thoughts I had into into life. And at the back of those books, we've got some notes for parents, so there's, there's things that they can bring up and talk to with their children as they're sharing it. Yeah, well, they're really good. Well, thank you so much, uh, Penny. You can find these books on Amazon, presumably, or good bookshops. Yes, Bloomsbury. Bloomsbury, yep. So just per- searching for Penny Tassoni. Um, I'll link it through in the show notes. Great. But thank you so no, much for joining me much. today. Thank it's you. been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you. And thank you all for downloading another episode of The Parenthood. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this podcast. It really helps new people find us, new listeners find us. Um, uh, you can also follow me at on instagram i'm at marina.fogel but in the meantime from penny and me thanks for listening goodbye